Hey, what a great song, huh? G- didn't Jesus say, I'll never leave you? Come on, never forsake you. I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. So you're not just singing something nice, you're singing the Word of God. Hey, give your neighbor a high five and say, thank God for the heater this morning. Well, a little cold weather snuck up on us. Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2. I have been doing a series of messages called Turnaround Leaders for Troubled Times. Can you say that with me? Turnaround Leaders for Troubled Times. And how many would agree we are in troubled times? Yeah, in our nation, everywhere we look. It's from the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a book about Israel. They walk with God and things are good. They fall away from God, things are bad. But when things are at their lowest, God raises up a man. God raises up a woman, Gideon, Samson, Deborah, many others. And they're able to be used of God to turn things back around. The word turnaround simply means a complete reversal of the situation. And the hope that I give you this morning is turnaround leaders are not just leaders that affect big national issues, but turnaround leaders, listen, are needed in the home. How many know if there's a family that's in trouble, they need a turnaround leader? And that could be one of the kids praying, seeking God. It could be a neighbor that hears, you know, objects thrown in the middle of the night, hears cursing through the walls. It could be a neighbor that does that. If a company's going bankrupt, they need what? turnaround leader. They need someone that didn't just get the new marketing idea, but they need someone that gets a word from God to know what they need to do. Sports teams that are losing, how many know they need turnaround leaders? If the coach doesn't do it, he's fired the next year. But listen, there could emerge in any situation that you're in, and this is what I want you to see today, that God uses people to fix what's broken. And uh, let me show you a little quick video clip about an old movie that I think will inspire you just to kind of broaden the theme of this, but it was called Lean on Me. True story, remember this? It was a principal, he's actually spoke at Arkansas High a number of years ago, but he was, went into an inner city school, Joe Clark, and turned things around. This will inspire you and it'll be a springboard for us. Take a peek this morning. This is a Over. Time Take out your pencils and write. I want the name. Every hoodlum, drug dealer, and miscreant on my desk by noon today. They called him crazy. They used to call me crazy, Joe, but now they can call me Batman. Crazy for padlocking the doors. You know me 30 years. You know what I would do. Crazy for changing the rules. I want all of you to look at this slovenly, sloppy boy here. was only crazy about one thing, the kids he cared about. You mess up just once, and you're out of here. You are here for one reason, one reason only, to learn. Morgan Freeman stars in the true story of Joe Clark. My motto is simple. If you do not succeed in life, I don't want you to blame the white man. I want you to blame yourself. From the director of Rocky and the Karate Kid. All right, that's why God made DVRs. Go ahead and record it. Just kind of makes you feel good, though, doesn't it? When you see something like that, a school that was just total, total, total trouble, and, and a man is raised up and is able to turn things around. Now, listen, he would not have been able to turn things around were it not for the school superintendent that put him in place. 
if you saw as the scene was introduced, he was trying to recruit him. He knew he could do it, but he needed an enabler to get him in position. This same superintendent enabled him to further success when he, he, he corrected him when he was wrong, when he was messing up, helped him get on the right track. His superintendent encouraged him when he was down, and when it was all over, the superintendent celebrated with him. I'm telling you, that superintendent was behind the scenes, but he was an enabler helping the turnaround leader be successful. Now, the word enabler is what I'm talking about this morning. A godly enabler is the title of the message. The word enabler has negative connotations. It's like the wife that enables the alcoholic husband to keep his job and keep going. She's somehow helping him along. But in this case, the morning's message is in a positive vein because every turnaround leader needs someone to help them be successful. And the turnaround leader I'm talking about this morning is a man named Samuel, but the helper, the one who enabled him to get where God wanted him to be, was his mother named Hannah. And I'll focus on Hannah this morning. 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. The nation of Israel is in trouble going down. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Eli was the priest. He was one of the representatives, the ministers of God. His sons were in the priesthood as well, but they were not godly people. They were not seeking after God. They were not doing what was right. But these sons were leading the nation in a corrupt pathway. The Bible goes on to say, verse 17, their sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. They were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. What were they doing? Well, two things we know. When an offering was brought to, to, for worship, it was not like you did today. You used the debit card in the lobby or, or a check or cash. They would literally bring an animal to the temple. They might travel many, many miles and they might bring something they raised because within that animal, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And sin is so serious that a life had to be given for a life. That's why the cross is so important. Jesus substituted his life for ours. They'd bring this animal to the temple, they'd bring it to the priest, and what would happen is this animal would be killed. An offering of the animal, it might be, for example, the fat on the inside would be burned before the Lord as an offering of thanksgiving to what God had done, sacrifice for sin. But then a portion of the animal would be given back to the family. They'd take it, have a little family barbecue, but also the priest would take a portion as that was his compensation. Well, what had happened in their day is they were no longer honoring the Lord, but the priests were basically taking whatever they wanted. It was like embezzlement. But it got worse because these sons of Eli, they were literally sleeping with women in the temple. It was ritual fornication, and they were practicing the Canaanite religious practices. So it was all messed up. But did you notice the last phrase of that scripture? But it said, but Samuel was ministering from the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. A linen ephod, it was the priest's garment. It's like a Catholic priest that wears a backwards collar. It was a sign of the priesthood. But what I want you to see this morning is that in the middle of corruption, the middle of a nation that was backslidden, a middle of a nation that turned away from God, God had a man in place. Actually, he was a boy. And this little boy, Samuel, was going to be raised as a godly man in a very corrupt society. And this should get hope, give hope for you. You're raising children like this little girl that we dedicated. You say, well, how in the world could that child have a decent life? I'll tell you, if that child walks with God, if her parents instill godly values, if they get her to church and, and we partner with you and help instill Christ in that child, that child can end up serving the Lord rather than the devil. 
Listen, great evidence right here in the front row. My daughter Bethany, you know, her mom and a little bit from her old dad, she says, Dad, I'm in three Bible studies. I'm going to church. I love to do it. Now, listen, I'm still living a fun life, having a great time getting an education, but God's in the center of everything I'm doing. I'm telling you, Samuel grew up in a corrupt society, and Samuel was the one that turned things around. But listen, he couldn't have done it without his mother, Hannah. And I don't just mean his birth. But I want you to see the relationship that Hannah enabled him to be a turnaround leader to turn the nation around. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning because I want to challenge you. Every one of us have influence in other people's lives. Some of us may not be the upfront Joe Clark leader. Some of us, well listen, none of us will lead a church likely in Haiti like our friend Jay Threadgill. But yet, he's leading down there, and by us giving money to them to help them build the building, we are enabling them. We are empowering them. This word enabling or empowering, I want you to think of this illustration. I'm doing some work in one of my flower beds, and some bushes were just all outgrown, and and they were just too big, and and the thought of just digging them up was just too much. So I backed the truck up to it, and I said, okay, here we go. Took off. I didn't do that, but I want you to think about how dumb that is. Now, this truck's got power. It's even got four-wheel drive. Put it in four-wheel drive. Boom. Nothing happens. Until you get a chain, come on, that hooks around the shrub to the back of the truck. Happens to be a Toyota, so it was no problem. A Ford or Chevy. I don't know what would have happened, but my Toyota. How many men just got offended? Let me see your hand. Come on, real quick. <laughs> you think I offended you today. Wait till next week. But that's what an enabler does. The enabler is the chain. The enabler is the link, come on, between this person and God's purpose. And they cannot do it without you. Let's read Hannah's story. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2. Hannah the godly enabler. The storyline opens, Elkanah, or Elkanah had two wives. Everybody say double trouble. <laughs> now, when the Bible speaks of things like this, that doesn't mean the Bible advocates it, Okay. So, gals, you want two husbands? This is not an excuse for this, okay? You didn't want the one you got. No. All right. The Bible speaks into culture. Just like when the New Testament wrote about slavery, it's not the Bible advocating slavery. It's the Bible speaking into the life of it. Come on. And then God taking us from the corruption we're in to where we want to go. The first wife was named Paniah. She had kids, but Hannah had no children. Now, this is the storyline as it unfolds today. Now, this man used to go to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Now, what does that mean? You remember when they made the animal sacrifice, they would like cut off meat. Imagine you just cooked, you know, whatever, steak, chicken, whatever the case is. Let's say you get a chicken from... Sam's or Walmart or Albertson's and you take it home. It's like everybody gets a piece. You get a leg and you get a leg and, you know, you get a wing and a little slice. Well, Hannah got a leg and a slice. And this is why the scripture says, because he loved her. And I want you to say this phrase with me. Though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, why in the world would God keep a woman that wanted a child childless? Now, I'm a man, I can't relate to this, but I have talked to women that wanted to have a baby and couldn't. I've talked to people that have spent thousands and thousands and thousands for in vitro fertilization, trying to figure out, is it a problem with the man? Is it a problem? What, what is the deal? Is I, ha- I know this agony. And this is a woman 
who wanted to have a baby and could not, but God was behind the pain. Now, I'm going to explore this later and explain it. Let me say this. Not all pain is God behind. I mean, no, there is a real devil who came to steal yeah, and destroy. So most, I would say, most of the evil, certainly all of the evil in your life is, is, is because of the devil. But sometimes God can orchestrate an event, withhold an answer to a prayer, delay a promise, because he's trying to accomplish a divine purpose. See, the, the problem for we as Christians, we can have one or two views of God. If you think God is Santa Claus, listen now, and he exists to make me happy. You may be disappointed. If on the other hand, if you see yourself contextualized in your relationship with God, remember the Lord's Prayer? Give us this, no, it, the Lord's Prayer. First thing, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, and then it was my daily bread. So if we can see our lives is in the hands of God, a kingdom purpose is at work, it makes more sense. Well, verse 7 says, it went on year by year. It's one thing to endure disappointment from God for a little while. But when it defines your life, come on, how many know it's way bad? Well, verse 10, it shows us how bad it was. She was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She just quit, didn't want to go to prayer lines anymore. Verse 11, and this is interesting, this is the turning point of the story. She vowed a vow. She made a promise. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. I want a baby, but if you give it to me, I'll give him back where he can be raised in the house of God as a servant of the Lord. No razor will touch his head. Again, that was the sign of the Nazarite vow. You remember Samson the same way, set apart to God at birth. And this was a sign of his special uh, uh, spiritual life. Verse 19, and then they went back to their house. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. The Lord remembered her. In verse 20, in due time, Hannah conceived, bore a son, and called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now, let me make a couple observations, and then we'll look at a few lessons from the passage this morning. Uh, first of all, if you were to just pick up the storyline like I would like to do at verse 19. They went home from church. She wanted a baby. She got pregnant and had a baby, and everything's great. But it's not that way. Let me tell you three things in this passage that stand out. One is, Hannah was unable to have kids, and God was behind it. God had a reason for it. The second thing, how did she know what to vow? Because the whole story changed. The storyline changes when she made this promise to God. Now, how many have ever made promises to God? If God would do something, then you do something. Come on. How many have said, God, if you let me win the lottery, I'll, I'll, I'll give a double tithe. Come on, let me see your hand. Let's see, four honest people, probably 400 liars in the room today. She could have vowed money. I mean, that's really like what God needs, right? That paper that's becoming increasingly worthless in your pocket, that is exactly what he wants from you. Okay, that's, God is so poor in heaven that the preacher has to beg. That's exactly what God wants. No. She could have easily said, okay, God, this is what I'll do, bargaining with God. Okay, I'll even work in the nursery, God, if you'll, if you'll take care of this. Right? I'll go on a missions trip. She didn't do that. Why did she make this vow? I suggest to you that she somehow in her heart knew. She knew what God wanted. She knew what God wanted, and she had to come to a place where she surrendered to his will. 
And my third observation in this passage is in verse 20 where it seems like then quickly God answered her prayer. I suggest to you that God quickly answered the prayer and the pain left when she surrendered to the purpose of God. And it may well be, listen now, that God wants to use you to enable some person to be a turnaround leader. That there are, there are, it could be as easy as money to Haiti, but more than likely, it's people in your world that are going to be at the forefront of doing something big for God that they need someone to help them. Just like Joe Clark needed the superintendent to enable him to get in position to help him to stay with him. There are people in your world today and there will likely be people in your world in the future that God wants you to have some special relationship with so you are the divine enabler. You are the godly enabler helping them be successful in the purpose God's called them to do. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. So the question is, and you might ask your neighbor, will you be that person? See, when I say something like that, you turn to your neighbor and you say, will you be that person? Like, it's kind of how it works. You know, you, you know, amen a little bit and I'll preach shorter, okay? Otherwise, we'll be here a long time. First Samuel chapter 1. Let me give you three lessons from the life of Hannah. Here's the first one. A spiritual enabler has to give up so a turnaround leader can go up. Let me say it again. A spiritual enabler has to give up so a turnaround leader can go up. Look again at verse 11. Her vow, she vowed a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you'll just give me a son, I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now, mind you now, this woman wanted this baby. Bad. Most of us live in a world today, the very high percentage of us is we have birth control until we decide to have a baby, we're off birth control, we're pregnant, and then we hope the birth control works until we want to have another one. I mean, that's the way it works with most people. Well, it does, whether you agree or not. I mean, that's just the way it works. But in this particular case, it was not working like that. And, and this woman desperately wanted this baby. But she was going to have to give up something. Come on. So Samuel could go up. She was going to have to make a sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, listen, she had dreams for this boy. I guarantee you she wanted him playing on the Jewish t-ball team. She just did. You know, she, she wanted him to help in the yard with, because dad would never pick up the gumballs. So she wanted to have, you know, I mean, she wanted a yard help or, or maybe she wanted, uh, uh, maybe she wanted uh, somebody to take over dad's business because they didn't have social security. Come on, they had, they had family security. Maybe she wanted that. But here's the bottom line in, in, in the whole story is God wanted her to make a sacrifice and she had to give up so Samuel could go up. And I suggest to you this period of time, this lengthy period of time in which she wrestled with God was a big, big deal in her life. And I wonder where you may be. Is there something maybe God is asking you to surrender? Because here's the deal. The turnaround leader can't be successful without you. Let me give you a story. I'd say probably 20 years ago, or maybe a little bit longer than that, 22, uh, there was a guy here named Philip Ward. Who remembers Philip? Let me see your hand here. All right, let me tell you a little story about Philip. And I want you to get, get a picture in your mind. Here is this big old burly beard guy from Arkansas. I mean, hunt fishes. I'm talking just a good old good boy, godly boy. Philip is here, but in one of the housing projects is a little boy. His name is Demetrius. Demetrius is about 10. See, we, you and I, we can't see the end from the beginning. We can just kind of see right where we are. You know, how many have lunch plans today? Let me see your hand. What are the rest of you going to do? You're going to fast, okay? I mean, I mean, everybody knows. You know, you think what you're going to do. You don't know what's going to happen. You know what your plans are. 
but you can't see it. We look at this story and we see the beginning and the end, how it all works together. Well, there was a little boy named Demetrius in the housing projects and God had a purpose for his life, a spiritual purpose to be a pastor. He's a pastor in town today, by the way. Well, God had a purpose to be a pastor, but the problem is he was in the housing projects and it just probably wasn't going to happen there. He, he was surrounded by a world that would suck the life out of him, that would take, you know, it would just take from him. Didn't have a dad in his life. It was just a tough situation. And here's this old burly country boy driving down the road one day and for whatever reason he pulls by one of those housing projects and stops and he said pastor I had a vision and I saw a demon sitting on one of those one of those uh, ledges of one of those housing projects and I felt God tell me he wanted me to use me to rescue young boys now here's the deal it'd be pretty easy if it was convenient Philip liked the fish I mean, he loved to fish. But the problem is, the best way to reach these boys was not with a sermon. How many know your life is your best sermon? best way to reach these boys is on Saturday afternoon playing ball and practicing during the week. Well, here's the problem. That interrupts fishing time. But you have to give up so Samuel can go up. But it wasn't just an afternoon on a Saturday. He got these kids clothes. He started the ministry in the church. Begged, borrowed, and steal. Somehow got a van. Starts bringing them to church. Come on now. Brought three of them in his house. Now look, I'll give you a couple bucks for something to eat, but thinking about having you come live with me, that's a different story, okay? And you're the same way. Come on, you're just looking so smug out there this morning. He takes these three kids in his house, and I want to tell you what, today one of the kids is in ministry. Uh, they have businesses, they have successful lives, they have healthy families. Come on. And it all happened because somebody was willing to give up so a turnaround leader could go up. And I'll suggest to you, it might not be that commitment, but very well, God may be asking you to do the same thing for somebody else. And isn't that what Jesus said? Greater love is no man than this, than he... Lay down his life. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Look at another one. Go to chapter 2, verse 18, and here's another one. It's related, but a little different. Godly enablers are connected to a divine purpose in another person. See, when we give money to Haiti to help them buy... They're building. We are connected to divine purpose. It's not because I, I like Jay, though I do, the pastor. It's because there's a purpose there, and the Holy Spirit has orchestrated the relationship. So whenever you help someone, whether they're in politics, how many know if God calls someone to be a politician, how many know they need someone to put yard signs up? So, so whatever it is, the Joe Clarks, everybody, there's a, there, there's a divine purpose that we connect to. Uh, verse 18, uh, Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. And this is the divine purpose. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest. And each year his mother made a small coat for him. They didn't have Walmarts or Dillards, but when she came with her husband for the sacrifice. So what does this imply? Hannah had a relationship with Samuel that was more than just mother and son. This relationship was lifelong. She was enabling him because there was a divine purpose that started with her vow. And she stayed with it. So when you connect yourself to someone, there's divine purpose that you're looking for. I mean, no, Moses had Aaron and her. And he couldn't have won battles unless they held up his hands because that was part of divine purpose. I mean, no, when, when Paul was commissioned to take the gospel around the Mediterranean world, he needed a Timothy to stand by his side. It was divine purpose. I mean, no, the marriage of Aquila and Priscilla, they needed one another because there was a house church that was there. They were helpers of Paul the apostle. They would travel with him. So we are, are, are joined. You are joined with people. 
I do a lot of things on the radio, get a lot of feedback from just, just talking about America and culture and the Bible. Well, guess what? I can't do that on my own. But when you give to the church, it, it's an enablement. It's, it's gas in the tank. It's the chain between the tree and the truck that, make thing, that makes things happen. And we're connected here in divine purpose. Do you know how many children, why don't you take a guess, how many children, I'm talking about uh, elementary age, preschool, nursery, how many kids are in this church on an average weekend? Take a guess. 220. Look at this new ministry guide, if you hadn't seen this. I want you to look at the cover of this thing right here, and I want you to look at the, this is this, is this second service a number of weeks ago. I, I, I just couldn't believe it. My mouth was dropping over. There was not enough room on this whole stage to hold all these kids. And that's just one of the service. 220 kids are here. A hundred kids on Wednesday night are in the powerhouse. About a hundred are on Thursday night in the powerhouse. That's over 400 young people. Come on. And there's a Demetrius somewhere in that bunch. Listen. It may, it may well be the first woman president in America, come on, that is right now up there in the kids zone. I mean, listen, it could be governors. It could be school superintendents. I wish we had a turnaround tex- uh, leaders in Texarkana. So rather than being twice as uh, mean, we'd be twice as nice once again. Uh, I, I, listen, you, you need somebody. You need turnaround leaders in America. I'm telling you, those kids are up there. I'm telling you, they're here. And those kids are just like that Demetrius. Who knows how many preachers, listen, are right here in our church right now that you pass by and you see every week. And you think, well, I wouldn't know what to do with him. I I don't have a Bible school education. That little child could be in that nursery right now. I cannot believe what I read in our newspaper a couple times as of late where, where children have been beaten to death. I'm talking about little kids. I'm talking about babies. I'm talking about one, two-year-olds. Where somebody just can't handle life. You've read these horrible stories. They put kids in microwaves. They put them in stoves. They, they just These children know abuse. Most of I don't know anything that can relate to that. But I'm telling you, that kid could be in the nursery. It may not be that bad where dad makes the front page of the paper. But that child at home may not have anybody to hug them. Come on. That child may not have a... That child may have never had the hug and the embrace of a man. And I'm telling you, when that child... In their world at home, and, and all they get is, is deprivation, and they don't even know what that is. All they know is hurt, and all they know is pain. But they go in the nursery, and somebody just loves them. Come on, you don't need a Bible school degree to do that. But Demetrius's of the world need somebody like that. I'm telling you, my favorite people in this church, don't get mad, I'm going to offend you again, are not you adults. But they're those little kids. Come on. Well, special little relationship with. I'm going to have more friends today. I found two honor bucks somewhere. I'm going to give them away today. Those kids are going somewhere in God. And they need somebody, come on, to help them. All those kids are doing are listen to... See, you don't even know what, a pod, what a, a, an iPod is, but they are downloading God only knows what. The only way you know is the bill that you get. They're watching filth on television. Listen to me now. They don't know right from wrong. They don't get it in our schools anymore. They don't get the godly side of life. They need someone to lead them. They need someone to guide them. And I'm telling you, I am offering to you one of the greatest opportunities that you have that you can impact a young Samuel in the world today that's right here. That you don't have to go to a housing project or you don't have to go to the other side of town. Listen, they got problems on both sides of town. How many know that? 
But there are kids that are here. There are teenagers that are here. There are college-age kids that just looking for a parent, someone to help them, lead them, and guide them. And I want to give you an opportunity. If this is resonating with you right now, and you just know that you're, you're feeling something that made Hannah make the vow, that you would like to give something to young people and be able to help them, when we close our service, as we always do, we'll have prayer. But I'm going to have some kids right over here on the platform. And if you would be willing to make the step and just say, I want to offer myself to somehow connect with some kids. We'll just get your name today and we'll call you and we'll find a way that works for you. If it's holding a baby in the nursery, if it's teaching a class, or if it's just having fun, whatever it may be, I'm telling you, kids need help. And they're not only the future of tomorrow. Come on, how many know kids are the Samuels of today? Give the Lord a good hand. And I'm just about done. Back in verse 10, let me close with this third point. Again, these spiritual lessons is the spiritual enabler has to give up so the turnaround leader can go up. And we as godly enablers are connected to divine purpose in another person. And here's the last one. God has a plan and a purpose for our pain. I want you to listen to this. Verse 10. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. Now let me say this to you. God is not mean. Your loving father is not standing in heaven seeing how much pain he can cause this girl Hannah. But is it just possible, is it just possible that God knew that if she was too comfortable, she would never give this boy to him? Is it just possible that this child that she'd prayed for who knows how many years, seven, eight years, and she finally got it, that when she got it, she'd never let go? Is it just possible that there may be something in your life that is so precious to you that God wants to use for a greater purpose. But He'll use your pain to get you to that place to where you'll make a vow and say, Yes, Lord, I believe it is. And I believe some of our pain should be interpreted that way. But let me be very clear to say this. Not all pain, come on now, is is God behind. There's some very evil things in the world. When children are killed, come on, God has nothing to do with that. God is as far away from that as night is from the day. When there's destruction, when there's heartache, when there's rape, when there's violence done to people, when people suffer, God is not involved in that. Come on, it is the consequences of sin and evil in the world. That did not happen in the Garden of Eden and it will not happen in heaven. But as long as there's sin, come on, as long as there's evil in the world, we deal with this stuff. But I'm telling you, and I want you to hear this, even in the middle of that kind of pain, God can use it and turn it around for something good. Let me tell you a true story. 25 years ago, a heartbroken mother made a pledge in her deceased daughter's bedroom. Here's the picture. Every parent's worst nightmare, a 13-year-old child is killed by a drunk driver. Innocent baby. Mom's in her room. Listen, I have been in those rooms. I have been in those rooms years after the child died and the mother kept it exactly like it was, almost as a memorial, because she wanted one more hug. She wanted one more time to kiss their cheek, to rub their forehead. The closest thing she could get was a room. This this woman, this mother decided she'd do something about drunk driving. She inspired a handful of grieving mothers to join the fight. They had no office, no money, no clout. All they had was sorrow, the courage to fight, and a picture of a pretty 13-year-old girl that had been killed. Yet they initiated one of the greatest success stories in America's history. Because of these women's ministry and what they have done, a mountain of traffic safety and victims' rights legislation has been passed. And annual alcohol-related deaths since they started are down 10,000 a year. 
And perhaps the most important thing is drunk driving is no longer acceptable in American society today. You know the organization, it's called MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. So you say, well, what does that mean? Romans eight twenty eight. listen. And we know, we know, listen to me, we know, we know, we know. Put it on the screen. That for those who love God, how many love God? Some things work together for good. It doesn't say they are good, but it says they can work together for good. Not only we love God, but we're called according to His purpose. So that's what I would tell many of you today. The devil has knocked you down, but God would cause you to rise up. Come on. And invest your life in the Samuels that are waiting to come. Well, I'm going to close with this. Everybody wins with God. Can you say that with me? Everybody wins with God. Chapter 2, verse 21. The Lord was kind to Hannah, and she came, became the mother of three sons and two daughters. <laughs> She's got five kids. She's probably saying, okay, that's enough. <laughs> Especially when they became teenagers, huh? But notice the next phrase. And the boy Samuel grew up serving the Lord. Everybody wins. Hannah won. Everybody say five kids. Stay with me now. Five kids, but the nation won because a prophet was given to God for divine purpose. I'm going to tell you, friends, with God, everybody wins. And I'm telling you today, I believe that there are Samuels in your life. You may know who they are. They may be changing a nation. They may be changing a classroom, changing a ball field, or changing a family. But there are young Samuels in your life. And they cannot do what they've been called of God to do without you. Any more than I could pull up that tree with my truck until I hooked it to a chain. And you, my friend, are that godly enabler. And my question to you today is, will you do what God is calling you to do? Come on, everybody give the Lord a good hand today. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning, and I, I want to have an opportunity to pray with you. Zach, why don't we just sing? And Because let me tell you how church was supposed to work. You don't just hear the sermon. You allow God to make its imprint on your life and direct you in the course of your future. Let's just begin to sing and invite the Holy Spirit just to come in for a moment. Come on, reach out to heaven. Thank God for this. Love never fails. Never gives up. Jesus said it. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Keep going. Never fails if you're a Hannah. Never fails if you're Sarah. You're John the Baptist's parents. Never fails. Thank God. Bow your heads with me a moment. Lord, we just... Lord, our hearts are rejoicing today as we see the hand of God deliberately, strategically, over years in the life of a nation. 
But a nation is falling apart, it's crumbling. They're backslidden, they're immoral, they've forgotten the ways of God. But Lord, you're never caught by surprise. Even in the midst of that, a child is born that you were working on for years. And you found the woman that finally said yes. And she enabled Samuel to change the world. So Lord, I would pray that today that the Holy Spirit might show us the Samuels in our life. Whether it's a distant friend like in Haiti that's a couple bucks and that's it. Or whether it's a Philip Ward and a Demetrius. Whether it's a Sunday a month in the nursery. Or if it's a Saturday night every week in the kids' zone. Whether it's a, a guard, so to speak, standing by the door on Wednesday night so kids don't slip away. There's something that enables the purposes of God to come to pass. And I pray for myself and all of my friends today that we would fulfill that purpose. I pray that this word would linger in our minds and thoughts and heart. And when we see Samuel, our heart would leap. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, just a second. Listen, when we go, don't forget, sign that petition, register to vote in the lobby. But right now, I've got some kids. I want them to just stand up right over here. These kids are kind of representative of Kid Zone up there. And remember what I said earlier? If God has nudged you in this message this morning, you don't have to know everything. But if you just know, I just feel God wanting me to invest some time in some young people. We're going to give you that opportunity. When we have the prayer team come up in a few moments, I'm going to ask as well those of you that want to, in some way, work with children. Just come up and just give us your name, and then we'll contact you. But we're going to have a prayer time here because I just know that God speaks in a message like this. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're not at the other end of Hannah's journey. Maybe you're in the middle of it. And maybe there's something in your life that's causing you tears, heartache, sadness, and pain, and you don't understand it, and you don't know why. But you simply want to ask God to help you know what to do and get to the other side. Please make this step, and let this prayer be that time where you and God make a connection. We'll pray for anything today, but I'd be, we'd be honored to pray for you if your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. In your heart today, you know you need to get right with God. You need God's forgiveness in your life. You need a fresh start. You've been headed in the wrong direction, and you need to turn your heart towards Christ. You may not even know if you're saved, if you'd go to heaven. Let us pray for you today and help you to begin a relationship with Christ. So whatever's going on in your heart today, whether you want to come work with kids or some need, our prayer team is coming right now, and I want you to just slip out right behind them. Come on, begin to sing again. We'll sing one chorus and be dismissed. You're wanting prayer, wanting to respond to this message. You come now. I love you. 